0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show. This week, we are looking at the five critical trading psychology mistakes that traders make. We're going to break these down into five different categories and you may see bits of you in some or indeed all of them. If you do, you're not alone. It's perfectly normal. We all go through it. But best of all, once you recognize it, it's a very, very easy fix. Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. And as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Lorenzo. Thank you
1: for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. So that smile's putting me in a good mood because I've got a fun episode here in store. We're gonna cover off the five biggest trading psychology mistakes made. Just five, okay, well this should be fun. I know, there's probably a hundred, there's probably a hundred thousand that we can realistically go through, but the probably the five most common, and we can sort of relay that to trading psychology and personalities of investors. All in all, those should be a, a good piece of information for traders out there to help them make better decisions.
0: Yeah, it's interesting on the journey as people learn, and obviously we've been you know, at the forefront of investor education now for over 20 years, and. Most people don't want to lift the the bonnet and look at the trading psychology. They want to look at the charts or the analysis. And invariably, I'd say based on my experience, once you get the psychology right, everything else flows into play. So it is, in my humble uh, opinion, probably more important than than a lot of the other factors that people spend their time on uh, when it comes to learning how to trade. Totally. And
1: we know how emotional people can be with their money. It's a roller coaster when you're trading stock markets as Mm -hmm. well. So... Having that rock-solid trader mindset is what we teach in trading psychology. So
0: let's dive into it, shall we? Number one, let's talk about the endowment effect. Ooh, the endowment effect. Okay, so in its simplest form, what is the endowment effect? It's It's the way you treat or feel something once you own it compared to how you might treat it or feel about something when you don't. In other words, as soon as you've got an emotional connection to something, an ownership in something, uh, all of a sudden uh, it has uh, a very different perspective to you in terms of how it behaves, what it does, how you treat it. Uh, give you two examples of that. Um, let's imagine, and I doubt you, given how well dressed you are, would have anything like this. Thank you. Um, you know, somewhere at home, maybe as we go into winter, you've got a ratty old pair of Ugg boots that you definitely wouldn't let anyone see you in, but gee, they're nice and comfy on a cold night at home. You can very clearly afford to buy a new pair, but they're old faithful. They keep the feet warm. They're lovely and comfy, and so there's there's a comfort level attachment to that. And it's a very simple example, but that's an example, if you will, of the endowment effect. Another one might be, let's say you have got a favourite coffee mug at work, and somebody else has had the audacity to go into the kitchen oh, and they're yeah they're drinking their green tea from it. it. It's your mug, and uh, all of a sudden uh, you know there's a there's a feeling there about it. Yet um, yeah, it's just a piece of porcelain or china, but.
1: And i guess uh, what most people have to realize is that if you own shares yes you own them Re- irrespective of that it's a completely objective decision whether to keep them or to sell them.
0: That's how it should be but seldom is it and uh, you know we meet people all the time that have owned shares for um, you know a really long time and without particularly beating up on any one or two companies like AMP or Telstra um, which we just have um, you know maybe they've held those shares since the initial public offering and uh, mm-hmm. and they couldn't bear to part with them. They've built this sort of relate oh my, my AMP shares or my Telstra shares oh, I've had a great dividend them off for years and you know they've been really good earners for me and 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 you couldn't bear to part with them and the reality is if you were more objective they're two shares that you probably wouldn't want to have in your portfolio based on their overall price performance but because you own that uh, that particular stock, you'd, you, you don't see its flaws. Uh, equally, you know, if you think about your kids. You know, I've had this conversation. And you're talking to someone saying, "Oh, my kids wouldn't do that," and they're doing exactly that behind you. <laughs> um, and and it's because they're yours. You see them as being special or different, which they may well be. Um, but nonetheless, you don't necessarily think see, see things as objectively as you could. So that's all examples of the endowment effect. And uh, oh, no, the, the, it's a great company. I'm going to hold on to it. They're, they're coming up with some really big announcements. They've got some new technology that rolling out. These are all examples of conversations uh, that you have with people where they're they're suffering from the effects of the endowment effect and they're not going to make an objective decision because they're emotionally invested in those shares. Shares aren't going to give you a cuddle at night when you're in bed. They're an inanimate object. Just buy and sell them. That's it. Don't get emotionally attached. But a lot of people do. Makes it hard to make quality decisions and invariably can cost you a lot of money.
1: I think it gets worse too when you've already had a really big profit that subsequently you now don't have and mm-hmm. take Zip, for example, that stock went oh, to no, the it'll moon. Come back.
0: it'll come back. It'll come back. Yeah, it's a good business, great management. It'll come back. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm when a long-term in real- term investor. I'm there for the long-term. I'm not one of these speculators, right?
1: Absolutely. In reality, you should have sold them off six months ago and cashed out. 100%. In your opinion then, AB, just a, a quick piece of advice. In your 30 years trading markets, how do you overcome the endowment effect?
0: Yeah, make your entry and exit decision before you own the shares. Simple as that. So nice. before before you're even in the trade and there's any chance that you could have any emotional attachment to the position, uh, you decide what your entry level is and then where your stop loss is going to be and where you're going to take profit before you even get into the trade. Uh, and that's something and I just had this conversation with a coaching client this morning, write it down in your journal. And, and when you're wondering what to do, refer back to what you wrote down there. The only uh, caveat on that, I would say, is that um, you, you might be moving your stop losses higher if something is trending higher, and you might moving your profit target up a little bit, but you're never moving them down, ever.
1: That's a good piece of advice, thank mm-hmm. you. Let's now talk about point number two or mistake number two AB and that's the notion of confidence. Now this can go both ways mm. and when we talk about achievement based traders, this range true specifically? Overconfidence and underconfidence they're just as bad as one another but mm. let's dump, jump into each of them.
0: Yeah confidence is a funny thing isn't it? And we talk about the business of trading uh, where our primary goal is to manage out emotion from the equation so everything we're doing is as objective as it can be. Um, we're also human beings and there's a danger that you do bring emotion to the table. When you think back to say sport and you're playing with confidence you know you put in a tackle you kick a ball uh, pass a ball catch anything you, you never drop anything everything goes out to plan because you're feeling confident about what you're doing when you're in two minds and you've got that doubt uh, and that split second decision in your brain, um, you know, am I going to take a mark? Am I jumping up for it? Or am, am I staying on the ground? Am I uh, going to pass left or right? You, you're thinking too much instead of actually following through with the action. And as soon as you get to that stage, it invariably is a bad decision, uh, and you either get injured or drop the ball or things don't go according to plan. So it does bleed across to uh, a lot of other different areas of life. Think about in terms of, you know, the law of attraction. If you're in the interviewing process to meet a partner, um, you know, I'm not talking about being arrogant, but if you're very comfortable and confident in yourself, not arrogant, not cocky, but just comfortable and confident in yourself. Typically, that's a very attractive quality for a lot of people versus someone that's you know, really insecure and, 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 and isn't backing themselves. That, that sort of uh, approach typically uh, is going to see you stood in the cab rank on your own at night, I would have thought. Absolutely. So let's bring that into the trading space, having sort of tiptoed around it. Overconfidence on a trade can be reflected in a lot of different ways. Uh, Having too big a position for your account size is a classic example of that, where you've taken way, way more you should have done on a particular trade. You've now got an overweight position uh, in that stock. If it doesn't perform, it becomes very, very expensive, blows your risk management out of the water, very, very dangerous place to be. Or maybe you feel that you're really reading the market exceptionally well. And and look, don't get me wrong, there are periods of time that we all go through as traders where you kind of really are feeling the market very well, and your calls are going exceptionally well. You're in tune with it. I'm not going to say your intuition or, or gut feel because it is a process, but nonetheless, you're seeing it through the right lenses and, and calling it particularly well. You're in flow. You're in flow. Um, from that can come a level of overconfidence where you then start to detach yourself from your trading plan and start to get high on your own supply, so to speak, where you then just say, oh, well, I've got a good touch on the market. I'll just take another trade. I've got the Midas touch at the moment. Impulsive, right? Impulsiveness, good example of that. And, and, and the worst thing that can happen there is you actually make money doing that because then you're building a, a belief system uh, in your own mind uh, that you're, you know, your confidence is way past your competence. And that's a, a recipe for absolute disaster because by the time the whole thing comes falling down, uh, which it will, um, you know, you, you've got massively overweight positions, probably no risk management in play, and you're swaggering around with this invincible suit of armor on that you're never wrong. And when you're wrong, it becomes extremely expensive.
1: Totally. What about the other side, mm. um, under confidence? That's yeah. a pretty deep hole yeah. sometimes to dig yourself out of. Yeah,
0: that's, that's a real tricky one too. And that's where you're very tentative uh, within your trading. So perhaps the signal has been triggered for you within your system uh, and you don't take it today, oh, let's just give it another day to, 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 to firm it up and confirm it. And then it moves very hard that next day and then it's FOMO and then you're chasing the game. Uh, and it is just as destructive. It, again, it's something that you can be coached out of and it just comes back to that belief in the process and this is, yeah, even after all this time in markets while I'm such a huge believer in journals you know every day I'm in my journal and you've you've been to my office at home and they're all in there in the cabinet and, mm-hmm. and it's such a disciplined process to um, to journal, to find out if you're not on point, why that is and trying to explore it, find it, fix it, um, rather than sort of burying it uh, under the carpet and hoping it changes. Hope's not a strategy. You've got to confront these things head on. And when you see someone that's nervous, usually it's on the back of a big loss. Uh, The reason they've got a big loss is because they're probably too confident. and, And now they're, and you see this in sports, somebody that's just just not playing that well, starts to go into their own head. And then everything they do, their poor choices, poor decisions. And before you know, they're playing reserve, grade, And it can get there really quickly. Um, self-belief is a hugely important attribute to have in life, not just simply trading. But that very fine line between overconfidence and underconfidence um, is what we call peak state. And there are drills that you can run on yourself as a trader to be able to present yourself in peak state at every decision. So you're not overconfident, you're not underconfident you're just seeing it objectively for what it is. Just like sport, do the work, train hard, and you get the results, that's right. it's much the same. And, and it's not about practice until you get it right, it's practice until you can't get it wrong. Totally. It takes a lot of work to do that, and that's sort of you know, the only place where success comes before work's in the dictionary. It's a great quote. Roll the sleeves up, do the work. Absolutely. Well, moving
1: on to number three now, AB, and this is one that we see all the time, mm. and that is the notion of loss aversion. So mm. um, if we had to explain that in layman's terms, you would rather not lose a dollar than chance your arm to lose, sorry, to win $2. Mm. Um, psychological research indicates that losses have twice the effects that wins do.
0: And I think that comes down to, Um, the emotional attachment that people have to money, the prospect of losing something that you've worked hard for. And let's think about what the business of trading actually is. It is the conscious and deliberate effort to focus your hard-earned money and to invest it or expose it to radical levels of uncertainty called the market. Now, let's just break that down a little bit and unpack that. It's the conscious decision that you're making to deliberately expose your hard-earned money that you've had to scrimp and save work your backside off for, save a portion of what you've earned, putting it into your savings account, and then deliberately exposing that to risk. Gee, you've got to have rocks in your head to want to do that, or maybe you just need to be a trader, I don't know. But the reality is you can see why having all that emotional attachment to money, how hard you've worked, the sacrifices you made, the time away from home, working with a, a co-worker that you don't even like, selling a product that you hate to customers that are rude to you, and you've managed to scrimp and save that dough up and now you're going to deliberately expose it to risk? No thanks. And that's where loss aversion effectively comes in. And it's interesting that there's a two-to-one ratio between the two. I'd almost say that it's probably even more than that to coax people off the bench to say, it's okay, here's what your upside is. And yes, of course, there's some risk and downside to this, but there's what your upside is. At what point is that threshold high enough to offset the pain that you've gone through to acquire that cash? And I think that's the root cause where loss aversion really comes from. A lot to unpack there. A lot of people have got some some real big hang-ups when it comes to money. I mean, money is. And if you ask that simple question, you know, for anyone listening to this right now on a piece of paper or, you know, if you're driving a car, just ever think about this right now, finish the following sentence. Money is... What's the next word? How do you describe money? And some people are going to say freedom, choice, um, opportunity, um, problem solving, uh, travel, uh, yeah, whatever it may be. They're all emotional words to describe money, yet money is just a piece of plastic as it is in our country or cotton if you're in the US or paper if you're in the UK. That's all it is. It's no more than that. It's no less than that. It's just a commodity to exchange, hopefully to buy your time back in for some stuff that you need or want in your life. But it's not all that emotional stuff. And most people have got no ability to cut that umbilical cord because of the values that they've built around money. It's crazy could when you a break it down. We could a long session on that. We could do days on that one. I've spent a lot of time coaching people through that. We should do a podcast on that. Mm, maybe, note it down, creative team, see what we can come up
1: with. All right, done. Moving on to number four, mm. AB. Let's talk about bias. Now there's really two sides to this that we see in practice quite often. That's confirmation bias. Mm and
0: negativity bias. Can we get a rundown from you on what each of those mean and how do I overcome them? I guess, you know, human nature, a lot of people um, have a desire to be right and they'll pick every piece of evidence that they can to support their argument, to try and make themselves right. And I guess that's confirmation bias to the positive. Um, So, you know, we're going to invest in BHP today. It's a brilliant company. Um, Iron ore prices are relatively well priced and they're going to move higher. And uh, China might be closed right now, but when it opens up, there's going to be a surge in demand and the Aussie dollar's weak. And that means our US earnings are going to be worth more. So we've taken as many bits of economic data as we can to support that idea that BHP is a good buy today. Now, If we flip that on its head and looked at a negative confirmation bias, why would you want to buy BHP today? There's massive uncertainty. We don't know how long China's going to be closed for. We've got a new government in, and we don't know if they're going to continue with a policy of higher interest rates, which may keep the Aussie dollar up or down, depending on what's going on. So it's probably not the trade for me right now. And all we've done there is searched around for a series of themes, if you will, to help support our view to the bearish side. Now the reality is the answer could be somewhere between the two, but because of our predisposition, either wanting to confirm our story and be right or reject the story and be right, we've searched around to really add into the mix anything, including the kitchen sink that we can into the argument. And in a way, it's it's not that different to what psychologists call the halo horns effect. Um, if, something, if, if, if someone has described to you, oh, they're a really cool person, you're gonna get on really well before you meet them, Chances are you will because you've already been loaded up to expect that they're a good person. And because they're friends with a mate of yours, they've passed the, the test. He's only got good friends, so they're bound to be a good guy. And, yeah, they're a really good bloke. Whereas if you were introduced to someone saying, oh, watch your you back with this person, they're really dishonest. They'll use you as much as they can. Um, you know, they're, they're a real bully uh, and, and they're, they're really narcissistic. You haven't met them yet, but before you do, you've got a set of lenses that have already written that person off where you're gonna go through the basic social norms of, hey, how are you doing? But there's gonna be no friendship there at the end of it unless you're someone that's fairly objective. So in a way, confirmation bias is exactly the same as that. They call it halo-horns uh, in psychology and, and in the trading space or, or decision-making framework space. Confirmation bias is much the same. Could be very careful with it.
1: So when we talk about uh, trading your view AB, mm. having to have a view before mm. you take a trade, yeah. How do you have any level of confidence
0: to know that you're on the right track or maybe that you're not? If if you factor that in. Massive ego and a a dig into the well of confirmation (laughs) bias. uh, I think trying to look at things as objectively as possible from both sides of the coin and and making an informed decision. Um, You know, how many people, everyone's got an opinion, but very rarely is it informed. And it's taking the time to try and break the argument apart and see both sides of it to see where the flow actually is and and that's from a fundamental perspective i suppose when you look at information and then if you were looking at charts there are indicators you know on balance volume's a good one for that uh, we can start to see money flow uh, going on anyway to see if other people in the marketplace are seeing things in the same way that you are noting of course there's always a buyer and seller in the marketplace someone's got a positive someone's got a negative confirmation bias it's which one is going to play out and it's it's not a question of being right or wrong it's actually just trading that move there's no ego in it. It's just, where can I profit? Isn't it a fun game that we live by? Pretty complicated when you start to break it out like this. It is. Gee, we deserve a pay rise. Good job we've got a new prime minister that's going to assure us of that. Absolutely.
1: Um, now, speaking, A.B., you mentioned of on balance volume and seeing where the money flow is mm. going and seeing what the market is reacting to a particular stock. Mm. What about the fifth and final mistake that we can draw to today? And that's the bandwagon effect. So being a sheep rather than a shepherd and just simply doing Thank you, doing what others are doing because that's what the social norm is, and we see this a lot with you know social-based traders that basically just do whatever everyone else mm. is doing.
0: What kind of risks do we see? Yeah, that's a really good point and astute observation. Socially based traders um, will follow what's going on because they can they conform with group norms. So if the trend is this way, they're going to go with it and. That's actually a really good attribute to have uh, in a trending market because you're going to wring the last drops out of that that, that trend. It um, can be quite tricky in a more choppy set of market conditions, which is exactly where we are right now. So, you know, you go back to the last two years, you know, we've had a market that's been bottom left, top right. And... and- as an investor, all you got to do is go along with that trend or, or whatever your friends are doing, whatever themes they're talking about, and everything makes money. Now we're in a far more challenging environment. You know, we've had seven straight weeks of decline in the S and P 500, and you know, I'm scratching my head to think about the last time I saw that in my trading career. And it's not just been a decline; it's been actually quite a choppy. It's been a bounce and a pullback, a bounce and a pullback. So, you know, if you're someone that's on that bandwagon, it's very, very hard for you to trade that because the direction of the bandwagon keeps trading, uh, keeps changing trend. So yeah, it is pretty hard in in more volatile conditions to be on the bandwagon. Bandwagon trading, when there's flow, just go along with it and ride on that institutional coattail. Think about some great examples of that. Afterpay, beautiful stock, $5 to 136 down to, well, it's delisted now because it's been been acquired by Square. I wonder how they're feeling about that decision uh, by the way. Their warm bucket of water. Mm, it's pretty cold good. now. So that was a great bandwagon to jump on because it was the trend at the time. And I think as a trader, if you've got your antenna up and you're listening to what the market is telling you what what's going on out there, the market is just merely a reflection of, of a whole bunch of people. And the strongest opinion is the one that's going to drive through because the strongest opinion is going to have the biggest money flow that goes behind it. And riding on the coattails of that is not a bad thing as as long as you recognize that you're riding on the coattails of it. It's not your genius, you're just simply riding on the coattails. You're taking the easy money and there's nothing wrong with this as an investment strategy at all, provided you acknowledge the fact that you're just simply riding on the coattails. You're not the next Warren Buffett um, or Stevie Cohen or whomever it might be, uh, Ray Dalio. You're just someone that's riding on the coattails of the work that's going on in the market. Nothing wrong with that as a strategy. You're not a genius, maybe you're smart, but you're not a genius. Recognize it because when that bandwagon shifts, you also need to be quite quick in your decision making to make sure that you don't get caught up in a declining market where you've bought the story. And and, and to put a bit of a ribbon around this, maybe you've now got the endowment effect. This is my baby; it's up 500%. I'm holding this till I retire uh, next week. The way it's going, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the share price drops considerably, and 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 those dreams are left shattered. So, yeah, bandwagon investing, technical indicators are going to help you do that if you if you follow something that's trend following can be very very lucrative but please do recognize it for what it is it's not your genius it's just your ability to hook on the trailer on the back of the truck and follow it along when it stops or when it hits a wall you know where you're going and put a stop loss there
1: too. percent every time it's interesting ab and the, the way you talk to that in the end there is that what most people will find is that there are elements of each that they've probably fallen victim to so as we come to the ending parts of the broadcast What's your final piece of advice for anyone who may be struggling in these areas whatsoever?
0: Number one, it's perfectly normal to be struggling in these areas. So, you know, if you're feeling, oh, that's me, what am I going to do better? It's okay. This is part of your evolution as a trader. Uh, In fact, not even a trader. This is part of life's evolution because, you know, to be successful as an investor or a trader, you have to be very good at making decisions. They're not always going to be the right decisions but you've got to be good at making them. And that's really a proxy for life. If you want to get ahead in life, make lots of decisions, make lots of bad ones and make even more good ones, but make decisions, don't be passive and just sit there and wait for things to happen. And as you go through that process, yeah, you're going to make a whole bunch of mistakes, but if your risk management is strong and your ego has been parked to the side where you go, do you know something? I am going to be wrong and I accept that I'm going to be wrong and I'll deal with it without taking it personally. You're already well on the road to to being quite successful in this space. However, most people can accept being wrong. And if they are wrong, they look for somebody else to blame. Or rather than be wrong, they'll just go down with the ship to save face. And that's catastrophic when you put that into a trading environment because you end up holding a stock like Afterpay uh, or or SquareNet, for example, on the back of it or Babcock and Brown or any number of other stocks that have hit the skids and dropped out the bottom because you were too proud to pull the ripcord and go, that's enough for me I'm out and it's interesting. I mean, psychology is such a crucial thing. I think um, we've got Nick Leeson, uh, the trader from Barings Bank, the notorious trader from Barings Bank. And for those people that, that, that aren't aware of the story, uh, get onto YouTube and watch the video, uh, the the movie Rogue Trader, Ewan McGregor, great portrayal of Nick. And it talks about in the 90s, my time in London, when Nick was over in Singapore, um, how he originally had a $20,000 error on his book. He was a floor trader. And through... A little bit of, um, how can I word this, uh, stubbornness, uh, maybe endowment effect, overconfidence, uh, stronger self-belief, um, desire to be right, um, proving a point, an ego, uh, as well as some criminal enterprise, uh, which you didn't profit from, My dad um, went on to bankrupt the oldest bank in the world building a $20,000 loss out to about £985 million. That's a lot of money. It is. And a lot of that comes down to psychology. And Nick is a great speaker, and I'm really excited that we're going to have him on uh, on the Money and Investing show with us uh, to talk about two primary things. Number one, the psychology of managing losses, and then number two, um, how to have better quality risk management in your trading. And I guess he's pretty well qualified having lost just short of a billion quid. And uh, and, and also to have had to have carried around those uh, illegal losses that he was carrying um, around on the bearings account and the psychological weight of carrying a loss-making position. And look, I don't think there'll be anybody listening to this podcast that's carrying... Yeah, a billion pounds worth of, uh, of pressure in terms of a loss. But the, the lessons that you'll take from that time with Nick, and he really is a great speaker. And, and the interesting thing, it, the defining moment in his life is something that's a long time ago now, back in 1995, and is a very embarrassing story. And it's one that he's not proud of, but he's been able to use that as a foil for good to actually talk about some great stuff. So watch that movie, Rogue Trader, if you want to talk about the psychological pressure uh, of having a week trading psychology. You'll see it firsthand. And uh, maybe throw in a few questions. If you want a couple of questions that you want me to ask Nick uh, when I've got him on the show, um, maybe jot them down in the comments below. Oh, that'd be awesome. And we'll see what we can ask him. He's a fantastic guy. He he truly is. And uh, and we're very, very uh, grateful that he's making his time available for our ecosystem. And I'll certainly look forward to having a beer with him next time I'm in Galway, that's for sure.
1: Absolutely. Amy, that was a really, really quality rundown on those five mistakes and certainly our listeners have taken a lot out of it. So thank you very much.
0: Absolute pleasure anytime. There you have it guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to hosting you on next week's show.